The No Filter Podcast, produced by students at the New Zealand Broadcasting School. This week, we have the pleasure of talking to Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. If anyone's ever heard me on the decks, I'm not very good at mixing. Do you think Neve is okay with potentially having five million cousins? Given how much she adores her cousins, she would be quite happy to have a few more of them. There's nothing more ageing than as an adult going to r and <laughs> Chat to Claire Trevitt from the New Zealand Herald about the last week in politics. That Jerry Brownlee might want to take off his tinfoil hat and replace it with a mask. And Mitch talks about the end of life choice bill. Twenty twenty. Election year. On September 19, millions of Kiwis will head to the polling booths to cast their votes and decide who is in charge of Aotearoa for the next three years. People our age, the 18 to 25 year olds of New Zealand, are notorious for not getting amongst the political system. Together we comment, tag, react and share moments like this. Flushing! Okay, Boomer. My fucking good idea. Get some guts! But pay absolutely no attention to the bland, boring crap like this. Doesn't give my opponents much time to run up to an election, does it? I'm Mitch Redman. And I'm Nick James. And we're here to chat politics with no filter. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda Ardern. Jacinda Ardern. For the sixth and final episode of the No Filter podcast, we would like to introduce to you the Right Honourable Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand. Cindy became leader of the Labour Party in 2017 after fellow Minister Andrew Little handed over the reins. National were in the hot seat heading towards the election, and based on polling numbers, it looked as if Bill English would take the party into their fourth consecutive term of governance. However, after negotiating a coalition agreement with the Greens and New Zealand First, Jacinda Ardern became Aotearoa's third female Prime Minister. The PM first entered Parliament in 2008, making her the youngest sitting member of the House at the time. She very quickly became a notable face for the party, which was helped by the weekly segment she had on TVNZ's Breakfast called Young Guns, where she and Nationalist Simon Bridges discussed politics as young, fresh-faced MPs. With September's general election only months away, Jacinda Ardern is coming to the end of her first term as Prime Minister. She has been praised for implementing legislation like the Zero Carbon Bill, banning plastic bags, making New Zealand history a compulsory part of the curriculum and leading the worldwide charge on the Christchurch call. But it hasn't all been smooth sailing. Kiwiville failed miserably, Oranga Tamariki continues to be problematic and she has yet to visit Ihu Matau in South Auckland. However, her leadership through times of crisis like March 15th, Whakaria White Island and the recent COVID-19 pandemic has gained global recognition. She's appeared on the Laneway stage. She's appeared on the cover of Vogue magazine. She's appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbier. Now she appears on the No Filter podcast. Here is the Right Honourable Jacinda Ardern. So, um, just to start off, uh, you were born in Hamilton and lived in the rural Waikato. uh, And then you headed off to Waikato University to study communications. How were your student years and what memories do you hold on to most? (laughs) 
Um, my student years were quite tame. Uh, in fact, I feel like I probably didn't make the most of my student years, particularly relative to, I think, the student experience I see many others have. And that was because I've, I've talked about this openly. I was raised in a Mormon family. I was, um, I was still a member of the Mormon church when I was at university. So I would describe my university years as a lot of hard work. I studied hard. I worked very hard. Um, to uh, earn enough money to pay for my fees. Um, so I worked multiple jobs, summer jobs. Um, and so most of my memories are around that. So yeah, nothing particularly um, <laughs> exciting. And <laughs> up very well for a life in politics. <laughs> <laughs> um, incredible. Uh, so what, uh, speaking of politics, uh, what point did you discover you had an interest in politics? Oh, I find it quite hard to describe a time where I wasn't interested. And you know, I, I often talk about, I, I do genuinely think that there's, there's a couple of different types of people who are interested in politics. There are the people who, are, who think the idea of being a politician sounds really um, amazing. Um, I don't understand those people necessarily. <laughs> and then there's people who are attracted to it because actually the first thing that motivates them is they see things that bother them about the world and they want to change those things and they see that politics is a place where you can do that. So um, I'm, I'm in the second category. Uh, I remember being interested oh, I was, from when I was really little. I remember watching um, elections from quite a young age. Uh, and I first started volunteering when I was at high school, but never with the view to being a politician myself, mostly because I just wanted to feel like I was making a difference. Mm. Very Definitely. earnest. Yeah. Very earnest. Um, sweet. And so just over three years ago, you became leader of the Labour Party after Andrew Little resigned from the role. Uh, the National Party has been in a similar position recently. How was that experience for you being thrown into the leadership just months out from an election? I've been thinking about that a lot as we're going into <laughs> the campaign. And um, when I think about it now, I mean, uh, it was incredibly intense because, you know, I didn't, on the 26th of July, um, which was my birthday, that was when um, Andrew said, look, I think a bad birthday, a very bad <laughs> birthday. And Andrew said, look, I, the polls aren't great. I think maybe you need to do this job. And then he made the actual decision on the 1st of August. Uh, and from there, I remember coming out straight away and saying, look, we're going to give ourselves 72 hours to come up with a platform, to change the slogan, to get new billboards. And it was a massive undertaking. Um, but we did it. Uh, and yeah, I'm really, you know, really proud of the work that we did in a short space of time. But it was very tough. <laughs> Hey, moving into some more policy-based chat now, the government has introduced a number of new policies in the wake of COVID-19. So schemes like the wage subsidy, free apprenticeships, and increasing some social welfare payments by $25 a week. Could you just give us a brief rundown of some of these major policies and how they'll potentially benefit uh, young people going forward? Yeah. And excuse the, the bells that you hear, that just means that um, the house is going into session, so it's a bit like being in school. Um, we have been particularly focused on young people because we know when we hit these economic shocks, and we've had a few in New Zealand's history, that it is, it is our young people that tend to suffer the most from that. 
And so we've put in particular um, support programs that are about trying to keep people in work, first of all. So the wage subsidy we know has made a difference for that, particularly in sectors like hospitality, where they've really needed um, some something to hold uh, them over until we saw us come out of those alert levels. So that's made a, a big difference for people to retain employment. We've also been really worried about people who are in apprenticeships because often they get dropped quite early on. So we've created a subsidy for employers to help them maintain their apprentices. And we've also created one to help them employ new ones. So we're hoping to grow the number of opportunities there. We've made apprenticeships free and we've made certain vocational training and education free as well. So um, for people who want to train, for instance, even in mental health, where we have lots of need and yeah. um, we have people train free there so um, just trying to remove all of the barriers and all of the costs to people if they even if they lose work to retrain or go into education to support them as well as what you've mentioned some of those increases in government support mm. for people who might need it that's awesome and hey we're just going to move on to the the cannabis referendum now so we're thinking that that's likely going to get lots of young people voting uh, most likely for the first time uh, what are your personal views on the referendum and why is it important that this conversation is happening now in 2020? Yeah, so ever since I've been in politics, we've debated this issue. Um, we ring the bells, bells twice, just so people really don't have <laughs> That's to That's great, it's great atmosphere, um, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's something that, in, in my view, from time to time, there are issues which actually, you know, really are judgment calls because... The goal of the legislation that people are voting on, the stated goal is to try and reduce use and reduce harm. And yet the reason most some, those people who believe in uh, making sure that it's criminalized is for the same reason, reduce harm, reduce use. So really what this referendum comes down to is what's the best way to um, stop harm from uh, use? Because all of the evidence shows that there is harm associated with its use. So it just comes down to the way you want to do it. My view, I've never wanted to see people in prison for recreational use. On the flip side, I've always been worried about young people at a young age accessing um, cannabis. So again, I've taken the, the position that my job is to make sure everyone has all the information, that there's a good debate and that the public decide. Mm. Because I don't want to be in the position of lobbying for something that is a very hard call. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just want to touch briefly on the Labour Party campaign launch. So that's happening this weekend, um, yes. signalling that MPs all over the country are about to hit the road and get out in campaign mode. Uh, what types of policy announcements can we expect to see in the next few weeks? You're, you're right that we haven't started the campaign proper yet. So we're obviously <laughs> still here in Parliament passing <laughs> legislation and to the, you know residential tenancy, vaping laws, a number of things we've still got to finish. Mm. So we launch our campaign on Saturday and we will be rolling out a number of, um, a number of policies and ideas as we go. Um, the, the thing, though, that I have said is that, you know, when you're in government, if you've got a good idea, you've got the chance to do it and you should do it at the time. Yeah. And so uh, we also, and for the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic and a significant response to it, a lot of what we intend to do over the next three years, we already have started or we're already talking about. So it won't be large scale, dramatic, um, uh, um, financial, uh, uh, financially costly um, policies that we're putting forward over that period of time, because actually New Zealand's not really in a position to be able to 
um, deal with that at this point. Yeah. And um, hey, I just want to, obviously you're coming to the near the end of your first term as prime minister. If I can just ask briefly, what has been one of your highlights and some of your lowlights in your first term? Um, the lowlights are really obvious, I think, yeah. for everyone. Mm. Um, uh, so obviously, um, March 15 was um, just devastating. Yeah. Fakari White Island was devastating. And now, you know, they, we're still, uh, the impacts of COVID we're going to feel for a long time. So those, those are the obvious lowlights. Mm. Um, the highlights for me have often been in the, in the little things. You know, going to visit for the first time one of the schools that has our free lunches in schools program and just seeing how happy the kids there are or um, meeting with the petitioners who asked for us to put New Zealand history into schools. Mm -hmm. You know, things, things that might on the scheme of things seem small but make a really big difference. Yeah. Um, so that alongside child poverty and climate work, I think are the things that I've really been proud of this term. Next up on the No Filter podcast, we explore the upcoming end-of-life choice referendum. Here is... What the f***? This week, we're going to touch on a bit of a morbid subject. Death. Which is pretty down buzz. But it's something you're going to want to make a decision on come September, so you need to know a bit about it. When I say death, I am talking about the end of life choice bill, which there will be a referendum on at this year's general election. If you're still a bit confused about what a referendum is, or how it works, check out episode 4 of the No Filter podcast. Alrighty, let's get on with this segment. The end of life choice bill will allow people to choose when they want to die, but it's not quite as straightforward as that. The bill is designed to give those living with a terminal illness the right to choose when they want to bow out, so they don't have to suffer through the last part of their life. More specifically, this bill will be for people over the age of 18, who are citizens of New Zealand and have endured a significant decline in physical health. If they're likely to die within six months due to their condition, euthanasia may be an option for them. I told you it was going to get morbid. The End of Life Choice Bill was introduced by ACT Party leader David Seymour in 2017. In Parliament, there is a thing called a Member's Ballot. MPs are able to submit their own ideas to the House, and when Parliament is a bit quiet or there is not much going on, these bills are drawn from a hat, a bit like a lottery. Even though the bill was brought up in 2017, a process like this takes a bit of time. There are three different opportunities, called readings, where politicians get to vote whether they agree or disagree with what's proposed. If the majority of politicians are against the idea, the process stops. The End of Life Choice Bill is now at the final stage of being passed into law. The last reading saw 69 politicians say yes to the idea, and 51 say no. New Zealanders, like you and I, now have the chance to have our say, which is the purpose of this year's referendum. There are many differing opinions on this bill. Some believe that it shouldn't be made legal because the legislation is too broad. Some believe it gives health professionals too much power, and others don't agree due to religious or cultural reasons. David Seymour, however, suggests the bill is a good idea, as it makes New Zealand a more free and enlightened country that is compassionate. Death is a topic that no one loves to talk about, but it is an important subject to factor in. 
Would you like to see a loved one lying lifeless in a hospital bed, counting down the days till they can go? Or would you rather see them pass away peacefully on their own terms? We're only weeks away from the election, so what way will you vote in the end-of-life referendum? We'll just have to wait and see. So pretty much now we're sort of going into those wrap-up questions. Um, it's, sure. pretty, <laughs> it's pretty common knowledge that um, you've had a bit of experience DJing. I understand that you and your partner, Clark, are, are good friends with the Shapeshifter Boys. What genre of music uh, do you like mixing? And what are some of your go-to tunes? Oh, and this is where I'm now going to be completely honest. <laughs> I am a tune selector. And I've always said this. <laughs> I'm not a real DJ. I'm a tune selector. And so... My, um, uh, if you've ever, if anyone's ever heard me um, on the decks, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not very good at mixing. <laughs> oh. um, genre, of, genre of music, I'm very eclectic. And what I listened to um, when I played at Langway, just the one time, <laughs> uh, I just picked, a, I'd used the theme of covers and just picked a whole lot of random covers that I yeah. loved. So you know, everything from, I even had William Shatner doing Common People. <laughs> I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. Actually, so just on that topic, um, Hamish Pinkham and the Rhythm and Vines uh, team are yet to announce their lineup for this year's festival. Uh, what as soon as you said Hamish Pinkham, I was worried. <laughs> well, what are your chances we're going to see a prime ministerial um, set uh, throw down on the Vine stage at December 31st? I'm very confident that we can say zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, Clark was the MC at, uh, um, at Rhythm and Vines for a number of years, and uh, I've been as an old person. Um, and have got, there's nothing more aging than as an adult going to R and B. That's brilliant, Prime Minister. And hey, throughout Level Four lockdown, thousands of Kiwis started referring to you as Auntie Cindy. Um, what did you make of that title? And do you think Neve is okay with potentially having five million cousins? <laughs> <laughs> Given how much she adores her cousins, um, she would be quite happy to have a few more of them. <laughs> she's taken to calling everyone she meets her friends. So um, she'd be fine with that. And I always have taken auntie as a term of endearment. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for people to call me auntie. I'm pleased. Yeah. That's awesome. Sweet. Um, and then ask me anything on Twitter from September 22nd, 2017, you replied to a, a tweet saying whether you prefer Lion Brown or Lion Red, and you replied, Waikato Draft, are Waikato's <laughs> still your favourite drop? <laughs> I remember that. I think it might have been around that time that I'd gone, I'd gone home for um, Christmas and gone down to Morinsville's top pub and had a had a Waikato just for. <laughs> well, I was going to say old times' sake, but not really because I grew up drinking Raro. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so yeah, look, Waikato, it's it's still nostalgic. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I'm just conscious of time, so we've just got a couple more questions to wrap up. Um, I can imagine that being Prime Minister is probably the, the busiest job going around. How often do you get some spare time, and what do you like to do when you're outside of the beehive? Um, the, the spare time is just little bits here and there, so mm. it's not like you can take up a hobby or craft <laughs> or anything that requires 
long spans of attention. So um, I do normal things. I, you know, mostly they involve activities with Neve. Um, so if I get a bit of time, you know, I might, we might go to the park or mm. something like that. So just normal toddler mum stuff. <laughs> That's nice. Hey, and just, and finally, uh, why do you think it's important for young people to vote in this upcoming election and why should they party vote Labour? Oh, look, you know, when it comes to voting, my first message to young people is it's not the only thing you can do, but it is a really important part of our democracy. This idea that if you don't vote it, you know, then what difference does it make? Well, actually, it means that you're giving someone else more power. You're, you're strengthening the vote of someone else and the people who tend to turn out are often people who will be in different circumstances to you and they will often have very different views of the world. And so um, it's so important that young people are actually making decisions that will impact on their future now mm. uh, and putting that pressure on politicians to think about their future now. So that's why we need them to vote. Um, why I want them to vote Labour you know, I'd, I'd say just know us by what we've done. You know, we have had a focus on, in spite of everything, we've had a focus on climate change and poverty and improving access to education and improving healthcare. And now I'm asking for the chance to just keep the momentum that we've got and to keep going. And that was Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Up next on the No Filter podcast, we were lucky enough to talk to New Zealand Herald senior political writer Claire Trevette about the last week's political news. Take it away, Mitch. The week that was. Parliament has wrapped up for another term with the House rising for September's election. Some key legislation was passed through the House under urgency, including some new vape laws. Could you please give us a bit of a rundown on some of that key legislation that passed? Yeah, the vaping legislation has been some time in the coming. It um, regulates vaping so to people who are over 18 and it restricts the flavours you can get and it reflects concern that vaping is a um, gateway I guess to smoking and um, without cutting it off completely from people who are already smoking and want to try vaping as a way to try and quit the actual cigarettes. So that passed this week, um, just before the election. Um, The government also had to pass a range of um, COVID legislation to make sure they had everything in place for things like um, charging for quarantine and stuff like that. Um, before the election because they won't get another chance for another two months to pass legislation when Parliament comes back. So that was the kind of focus was the getting um, all that stuff through before the end of the parliamentary term and MPs rising for the election. That's brilliant. I can imagine it must have been a pretty hectic week up there. And there was another shock sort of announcement yesterday Chris Hipkins made alongside Dr Ashley Bloomfield telling Kiwis that they should all have masks ready to use in case of a second wave of COVID-19. Why do you think that announcement caused a bit of a scene? It caused a bit of a scene because it seemed to come from nowhere. So in the past, um, Dr Ashley Bloomfield has said that the science on how effectiveness how effective masks are is inconclusive. So there's never even been a kind of recommendation that New Zealanders wear masks when they're out and about. We have, of course, seen it happen in other countries. Um, Since then, there has been more literature on it, and um, Chris Hipkins' call was also echoed by um, Dr Ashley Bloomfield, and they indicated that in the event New Zealand does get some community spread and has to move into level two, masks will become, um, will be encouraged, but not compulsory. Um, 
and of course if we move into higher lockdown it could become compulsory at some stage as the evidence of their effectiveness comes through. So Chris Hipkins has advised that every household has the masks um, in supply in case they need them. The um, opposition sees this as something of a scare tactic since they've never really gone the mask route before and there's no signs yet of community transmission while the um, borders are remaining closed and Ashley Bloomfield and the government keep saying well it's almost inevitable we will at some stage get community transmission and National has this thought that um, it, this could actually just be a scare tactic to keep people thinking, yes, the government's still in crisis mode and looking after us kind of thing um, for the election campaign, basically politicising it to a degree. So this was put to Chris Hipkins and he came back with the, the funny line because national statements had come from Jerry Brownlee um, that Jerry Brownlee might want to take off his tinfoil hat and replace it with a mask. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, and um, just on that topic of um, campaigning, Jacinda Ardern will launch the Labour campaign this weekend. Can we expect as many policy announcements to have been made as other years, or do we think the economic impact of COVID-19 may have a bit of an effect on what we see on Saturday? It will definitely have an effect. So she has, she has said that Labour's policy platform won't be as heavy as it normally is. That, of course, she is probably under underselling that because no party can go into an election with only policy only directed at one area. Um, what she is talking about is that people won't necessarily see the big spending policies other than as they pertain to COVID. And a number of those, she said, we have already announced because we had to as part of the COVID response. We couldn't in all conscious, conscience hold on to them until the election campaign. So we will, of course, the, the big eyes will be on the tax policy um, and Jacinda Ardern has said that that will be coming in the early stages of the campaign um, and the big question there is whether or not they introduce another income bracket for tax for the high earners. Um, there's no way they'll cut taxes for individuals anyway and even National is no longer looking at tax cuts um, but they are looking at, still looking at indexation of it. So. In terms of the big spending promises, no, there won't be many of those, at least from Labor, other than those that relate to COVID-19 recovery because they're already drawing down a lot of debt and they, I think they think that, probably quite rightly, that voters would see through any of the usual kind of um, sweeteners that parties come up with for elections that aren't related to COVID. I mean, the National Party was showed um, the same level of restraint when it was in government going through the global financial crisis. Mm. And to be honest, at times like that, the voters do tend to reward the parties that show fiscal restraint over those that um, promise to spend a lot of money. Mm. And so it's not a misguided tactic. But yeah. yes, it has very much moved from the Jacinda Ardern kind of change platform to um, that kind of, we need to just hold steady now. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, the past couple of weeks have seen plenty of valedictory speeches from um, some notable MPs like Ruth Dyson, uh, Paula Bennett, Amy Adams and Nikki Kaye, to name a few. There's some pretty mm -hmm. big names leaving Parliament for the last time. How different is the House likely to look after September's election? Well, it will look a lot younger. And in National's case, probably a bit more male. Um, a lot of their senior women have left as you noticed and a lot of them were last minute decisions to leave um, so for them in particular there's a massive regeneration or I wouldn't even call it that turnover from the um, 
there were ministers, I guess, from the key and English reign to to new faces, so it will look quite different, whatever the election result is. There'll be a lot of others who don't return and don't get to do valedictories because they get voted out, um, and that's especially the case if National can't get its polling up. Um, Labour as well, because they have a comparatively small caucus now, if they stay at their current levels of polling, their caucus will increase by maybe up to 20 people or so, um, and that's another lot of new faces. So there will be big new faces all over the all over the wazoo, basically. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And hey, um, as it's the last week of Parliament, and it's actually ended up to being our last week of the No Filter podcast too. Based on the current polls and the discussions that are happening, how do you see this election playing out um, come September? I'm always I'm always hesitant to say this because. Um, I mean, Jacinda Ardern herself will point to where things were at before the last election. And at that point, the roles were reversed and National was polling where Labour is now and Labour was polling where National is now. And yet Labour came out in the government. So, I mean, the big thing that we're... So I'm hesitant to call it because things do and have changed very rapidly. But what you can't... And what you also can't forget is that National was still very high as early as, as, early as February. So... People will be looking at COVID very much, and so Jacinda is in the pole position. Like it, it almost seems unassailable for anyone to be able to take her on. And the, and the biggest question, as you look at it now, is whether or not she'll be able to get a full Labour majority. I think, at the least, in the, unless there's a massive upset, she will be able to form a government with a near majority or with or with the Greens. That is all I would say. Is that it, as from where it stands now, Labour does seem to be pretty unassailable. And that's us for the No Filter podcast. Thanks to Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern for joining us in our final episode, as well as Claire Trevette from the New Zealand Herald. It's been one hell of a ride the past six weeks, tracking down and interviewing some of Aotearoa's most notable politicians. Without being given their crucial time, none of this could have happened. So a big thanks to them and all the political journalists that have joined us for our project. Being young people ourselves, we know how bland and boring politics can be, so hopefully we've made things seem a bit less serious and easy to understand. We're just over a month away from 2020's general election. Be sure to head online, enrol to vote and make sure our youth voices are heard come September. I'm Mitch Redman. And I'm Nick James. And And this this has been been the No Filter Podcast. Podcast.